This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 177. I have a bit of a part two happening on the subject of skin, having invited Asha Everts back to join us. You might remember uh, last year, I think it was around October, uh, that we did a an in-depth look at acne with clear skin expert Asha. She is a uh, naturopath by trade, Bachelor of Science, but also has a degree and diploma in dermal science and natural beauty therapy. So if there's one woman who can take us through (laughs) the way to get great skin and address some of the major skin challenges that people experience today, it's Asha. And she's so incredibly well researched. She's incredibly disciplined in what she does. And I have a huge amount of respect for the quality um, and caliber of the information that she shares with us on the show. So head back in time and you'll see a link in the show notes to the first show we did together. But today we're talking about a few different things. So um, we address acne just one more time in regards to post-pill acne. But today we're really focusing on the gut, skin, brain axis And in the first 10 minutes, your mind will be blown on that front. Uh, And then we're talking about the relevance of gut health in skin conditions, rosacea, uh, healthy aging. So looking at fine feathery lines versus deeper wrinkles and how best to support uh, us as we age. Uh, And then also having a look at those little white cysts, milia, and stretch marks. So we really pack a lot into today's show on skin. And uh, I forgot to mention also that we have one more on uh, eczema and dermatitis uh, in our show notes as well that we did three years ago now, which was also a fantastic show because often you'll listen to something like this and you think, oh, they didn't answer my skin concerns. But trust me, in 177 shows, By now, we've had a good little handful of shows on all of the major health topics. So it's absolutely well worth going to our podcast directory that we have segmented into various areas of the low-tox life, food, body, home, mind, planet and environment uh, to see what we've covered in the past. But I know you're going to love this uh, chat with Asha. I thought particularly useful was the deeper understanding of the microbiomes and how they talk to each other. So uh, that will kick off in just a little minute. I want to remind you that we have the wonderful Walida sponsoring our show uh, this month. And that means that you have, this is for the Aussies, 15% off the entire Walida range and free shipping over $29.95. It excludes gift vouchers, gift packs, and promo items, but it is still a super sweet deal if there are a few things you need to stock up on or if you're you know, a first-timer making your low-tox swaps. And uh, one of the 
reasons you'll often only hear from quite a small group of brands from us over and over again is because there are very few that cut the actual low-tox mustard. And by that I mean when you look at all of the factors that make a brand truly great in this day and age and as we look forward towards building a healthier planet and a thriving population, both of human and uh, animal, um, you really need to look at how people are farming, you need to look at how people are creating socioeconomic benefits for workers all up and down the supply chain. You have to look at plastics responsibility. You have to look at recycling responsibility if some things are packaged in plastic. You have to look at um, biodiversity protection, uh, shipping, the whole shebang. And Walida really does it in spades right up and down their production line. So it's one of the reasons you'll hear us talk about them often. And uh, just a couple of things I wanted to mention this week uh, TerraCycle collection for packaging. So as collection of recyclables is pretty challenging and varies massively through Australia, sometimes you just can't even be sure if they're going to recycle that empty tube of moisturizer that you have. And so TerraCycle and Walida have partnered and they've set up a process where you can send your empties back to Walida of their products and they will collate them and deliver them to TerraCycle for recycling. So you will absolutely know for sure that your product will be properly recycled if you are using something packaged in plastic from their range. Uh, and TerraCycle then turns them into shopping bags uh, and all sorts of other things that use plastic um, rather than using virgin plastics for, for products. So it's a great way to keep things that have been made in the economy rather than in landfill in our inadequate recycling system. So I thought you might like to know that. But also um, the BB&B hotels. This is one of my favorite initiatives and we've actually got one of these set up um, at my mother-in-law's farm down south. Uh, they have given over 600 of these little B, B and B hotels and teaching curriculums to Australian schools through their B hotel program to raise awareness for the importance of biodiversity. So basically they're these cute little wooden houses and we've popped a picture of them in the show notes if you wanted more information. And uh, it is basically a great home for bees. They love them and it's a way to re-attract bees into your uh, local environment. Um, so I've popped the details for the BB&B hotels um, in the show notes as well. And uh, a reminder that your code for your 15% off is low tox life. That's all from me this week. It uh, is now time to share this fantastic, informative show on skin with Asha Everts. Enjoy. Hello, Asha. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. How it are you is, doing? I'm great. It's awesome to have you back on the show. There was literally uh, the impossible challenge of getting through every skin complaint last time. And so we focused on uh, acne and the hormonal acne and where it shows up on the body. It was such a great show. So I encourage everybody to go back to that one if that is an issue for you. But today we're not necessarily focused there. There's other things that we need to cover. But what I thought we could do would be to start actually on the gut, skin, brain axis because 
what we learn in looking at that sets us up for a much better chance at having great clear skin, right? Absolutely. Um, and uh, I went to a conference uh, last week in Sydney uh, run by the uh, Australasian Anti-Aging Medicine Group, A5M, um, uh, in combination with Cosmeticon, and that was a full day of presentations on the gut-skin connection and for me that was the first time that anyone had put something like that on where they were actually talking about both and the focus was on skin and I think that that's so important because as clinicians we know that the health of the gut is reflected in the skin um, and you know you can look in the mirror and, and see what the what the health of your gut is <laughs> um, and so I'm really glad that um, we're getting more resources and research out there to uh, clinicians so that everyone can start joining the dots um, and feel more confident in treating these complex skin conditions. Mm, absolutely. So what were some of the key aspects to that gut skin brain access that were covered um, yeah, that you absolutely. wish more people knew out there kind of thing? I think um, it's important to understand that the gut and skin have more similarities than perhaps we recognise or think about because, mm -hmm. you know, one's on the inside of our body and the other's on the outside of our body and is the biggest organ and it seems like they're kind of, you know, not very connected in that sense. Um, but when we think about it in terms of um, both have a microbiome, then it starts to get that ball rolling. And then what we're learning is that both of the microbiomes actually communicate with each other. And um, yeah, in uh, constant feedback with each other, which is really, really fascinating. Um, and then other things that the gut and skin share together um, is that they're both defenders of external pathogens. Mm -hmm. So there's a big immune function. And in fact, that's another um, common link that um, the skin and the gut have is the immune system. Um, and both receive messages uh, from the brain via nerves. And in fact, um, uh, we can actually refer to the uh, brain-gut-skin brain access and not just the gut-skin access. Mm. So when when we're treating skin and we're looking at the gut, uh, I think it's common for people to think that everything is stemming from the gut and everything is caused from the gut, and that's certainly really common. All of that inflammation is affecting the skin. Um, but what was discussed in the conference um, was that um, just as we can have a a leaky gut or a gut dysbiosis. Um, we can also have skin dysbiosis or a leaky skin. And that has just as much potential to contribute to gut disorders as the gut has the ability to affect the skin. It's called bi-directional activation. Wow. And so basically what that means, yeah, wow, mind-blowing. Mm, not heard of it before. <laughs> and was yeah, this a, a particular doctor that lectured on this um, discovery? Um, look, they were all pretty much on the same page. Right, gotcha. Um, so it, it's starting that, yeah. to actually become uh, uh, 
not settled science, but consensus science, let's call it, with the top professionals. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's it's just something, you know, what as a cardiotherapist, I have to say that it was something that was on my radar anyway, that mm. really compromised uh, skin barrier uh, could, you know, activate um sort of pathology within um within the gut um but but now that's that's really being discussed which is absolutely fascinating and so we're learning that to have a healthy skin and a healthy gut we need to maintain not only our gut barrier which has been a really hot topic mm. you know, in the last few years but we actually really need to maintain our skin barrier as well which as a corneotherapist I talk about every single day so I'm yeah. very excited yeah <laughs> see they're saying this too it's not just me yeah and but doesn't that just blow your mind as to how that raises the importance of what we put on our skin what we expose ourselves to environmentally uh in terms of how uh, we can disturb pH, we can disturb microbiome, uh, we can irritate, you know, depending on the types of chemicals that we're choosing to use. Uh, there's literally, like after hearing that, it, my mind is just blown by how much more important that even is now. It's scary, right? And one mm. of the things that I was learning, this wasn't at the conference, this is within other reading because you can imagine I got home from the conference and I was just so inspired to just keep keep reading and keep learning, was that it's the skin barrier defence is so important and so strong that they're discovering that food allergies can start in the skin. Wow. Okay, so kids that are exposed to peanut dust through... Mm -hmm compromised skin barrier function can develop peanut allergies that's huge really big right so yeah you're exactly on the money what we're doing to our skin to our biggest organ and how we're affecting that barrier is not only crucial to the skin that the health of our skin and the appearance of our skin but it's really important to the rest of our health and our immune system and our gut function. Mm, massive. Huge. Wow. Huge. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a nice light spot to start. Um, so I'm interested to know then when it comes to um, skin conditions, aging as well, um, what is the link between gut health and how, um, how much our skin ages or how little it ages. You know, you always see some people who seem to just stay 30 forever. And we talk, you know, we, we laugh at like the Oprahs of the world who seem to reverse yeah. age. Yeah. Uh, so what's happening there? Oh, that's a great question. That's the million dollar or the billion dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> so um, in terms of how, so you're, you're asking me how the gut affects that? Mm. Yeah, so really uh, the seat of ageing is inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to age well, um, then we need to have low inflammation levels in the body. Yeah. Um, and as we know, a lot of people have inflammation um, being driven from the, the gut or a dysbiotic or a leaky, leaky gut. So a, a healthy gut should be like a balloon without... Mm -hmm 
holes in it, right? So that we're not leaking antibodies of big food proteins into the bloodstream and invoking an immune system response, which leads to inflammation. I mean, that's that's what I'm talking about by yeah. inflammation being driven by the gut. Um, and so, uh, when we when we're looking at it like that, if you if you've got sort of uh, underlying chronic inflammation being uh, stemming from the gut, then that is most definitely going to accelerate aging. Mm, huge. And I, I remember um, because I've always had like perfect skin, even when I smoked in my early 20s, my skin was flawless <laughs> and everyone hated that I had this great skin because people would get their big breakouts and, you know, all the stuff that girls in their early 20s um, fuss about. And um, but when I got mold illness, oh my gosh, it's like I aged 10 years in the space of six months. It's like the collagen was literally draining out of my body and my mm. eyelids begin, this part began to droop onto the, my eyelids and um, I noticed um, like huge amounts of sagging. And in the process of healing, and I'm certainly not done yet, but I am a very long step of the way away um, from where I was, my skin has literally rejuvenated itself by healing the inflammation um, that comes when you uh, are severely affected by mould. It has been such an awakening for myself in that inflammation piece and how it is linked to how um, healthily your skin ages and uh and 100 percent oh, yeah. yeah yeah and just getting those building blocks right checking in with your yeah. level of inflammation yeah. and um you know it doesn't have to come from mold there's a billion ways that you can become inflamed um and to just chat to a health professional um and watch your skin change as you start to address those issues absolutely so i would say really for aging um inflammation is the very first thing to address and to look at mm. and just for all skin conditions in general yeah. they're all inflammatory driven by nature um you know all of them have the ability to be significantly affected by inflammatory markers like lps coming from the gut mm. in fact um there are a uh, little uh immune uh, sensors in our skin are called uh, toll receptors mm -hmm. and they actually have a lock and key action with um, inflammatory proteins that are coming from a leaky gut and right. so that inflammatory protein will come from the gut and will lock into that toll-like receptor um, and then that in turn will activate um, uh, inflammation within the skin gotcha Whew. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And is that yeah, something absolutely. people can test with, with a pr practitioner? You, you could definitely see if you had um, uh, elevated LPS, mm -hmm. um, for sure. But I think that it's a given that if you've got a, um, an inflamed leaky gut, then you would be producing things like substance P and LPS, like a polysaccharides. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so yeah, as I mentioned, they will connect in a lock and key action to the toll receptor, which is like a... It's like a soldier, you know. It's like a soldier in the skin, keeping an eye out for things that shouldn't be there. Um, and its job is to flag the army, and the army being the immune system. Mm. So the toll receptor is like the sentry, um, sitting out there at midnight, 
you know, scanning the horizon. Yeah. Um, and if it gets infiltrated by those guys from uh, the gut, the, you know, the inflamed proteins, then it will call the army. It will call the immune system. Mm-hmm. And that's when we see the inflammation, the redness. Yeah, um, gotcha. And then that's, that's really compounded because if you've got that happening internally, but you've also got a leaky skin barrier and you're also... Uh, your to- your toll receptors are getting um, triggered by the environment as well, then it's a double whammy. Mm. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And so leaky skin, what are our beginning steps to addressing that? Uh, well, as a practicing corneotherapist, I would say that um, this is where corneotherapy really shines because uh, the so corneotherapy is a very special type of skin therapy. It's the type of skin therapy that I practice and I'm a massive advocate for. Um, and corneotherapy is all about the preservation of the defence layers and the barrier at all times. Mm-hmm. So that is our first and foremost priority because you can look at the skin similar to a house and uh, the, the roof of the house is like the barrier of the skin um, and if you've got, you know, a bunch of tiles um, missing from that house, then you're going to have lots of um, factors from the environment like bacteria, microbes, pollution, infiltrating that house and affecting the whole structure, okay? Mm. So the very first thing that we need to do for skin and for any skin condition is to repair the skin barrier. And a lot of the time that's taking away uh, the things that people are using on their skin every day because anything that's got an emulsifier in it, anything that's got fragrance in it is going to erode the skin's barrier. In fact, most most skincare will erode the skin's barrier. Mm-hmm. So it's important um to uh if, especially if you have a skin condition uh to see a practicing corneotherapist and start repairing that skin barrier mm. well the lucky melbourneites who can knock on your um clinic door <laughs> but uh it's uh, time to get the old ecosia search engine out and see who's near you um for those by the way who haven't heard of ecosia before that's what i'm using as a verb instead of google um, because of the evidence that's starting to show that Google is um, favorizing searches towards industry, and I just don't think that that is right. And so uh, Ecosia is not only a more measured and um, democratic search engine, but they also plant trees every time you search. So I say to Ecosia something instead of to Google something now, and that way um, it gets the word out for those guys. So um We've talked about redness, reddening, just very briefly. I've heard you mention that a couple of times. So it seems to be a good time to launch into chatting a bit about rosacea because this is something that a lot of people uh, have and find it really tricky to get resources to navigate, to find appropriate products for. Um, and I've seen a lot of our low-tox students help each other, support each other. It would be great to hear from a health professional in this space um, what it is, what might be causing it, and what people can do if it's something they experience. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about rosacea uh, because uh, it is the most commonly misdiagnosed skin condition. 
Um, and it is quite a complex skin condition because like a lot of other skin conditions, it's a multifactorial condition. And what I mean by that is it's not just coming from one cause because uh, mm-hmm. that would be easy to treat, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> There'd be a pill for that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when, I, when I talk about it being a multifactorial condition, um, it's got aspects of immune system dysregulation So it's almost like um, an autoimmune condition of the skin Mm -hmm. because um, you've actually got um, antimicrobial peptides in the skin which are there to usually help us um, against invading pathogens. They actually turn on the vasculature um, and attach to it and attack it. And so that's a big part of the issue. Um, So we've got that immune system dysregulation Um, And then that in turn leads to some abnormal vascular signaling. So it is a disorder of the vascular system of the face. It doesn't affect anywhere else on the body. Um, And then it is also um, an issue with dysbiosis of microorganisms Mm -hmm. of the skin and most commonly the gut as well. Um, So often people have had a diagnosis from their GP um, and it can be an accurate diagnosis, but it could also be that maybe they are just suffering some other kind of inflammatory skin disorder Mm -hmm. Um, and or maybe they've just got a a diffused red skin type that's a bit out of balance. And so when I'm looking at um, identifying rosacea, Um, I'll be asking people um, whether, because there's two types, uh, well, actually there's four types. There's two types that we'd really be talking about today. There's um, a dry rosacea and a wet rosacea. There's also a phytomous rosacea, which affects the nose, and I call that the Bill Clinton rosacea. Mm -hmm. You know, people realise what that looks like. Mm. ocular rosacea which can also be a complication of the other types of rosacea so it's something that we have to keep an eye on an eye on get it okay um <laughs> <laughs> love a good pun <laughs> especially when they weren't expected or planned they're the best ones <laughs> so when we're looking at dry and wet and they can uh, interchange as well so so it's important firstly to um establish whether that person has a dry or a wet presentation. So a dry presentation is more likely to um, be extremely dry, as the, as the name indicates. Um, it might be burning and stinging. Um, and they'll definitely have, as well as the red cheeks, the real telltale of rosacea to, to distinguish it from other things is the cherry red chin. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for the very red chin as well as the redness on the cheeks. There might be uh, visible capillaries um, and that's because there is a thinning of the skin and the capillaries are coming up too close to the surface. Um, and then when we're looking at the wet rosacea, we're looking at uh, similar presentation to the dry but they're getting the papules and the pustules which sometimes gets misdiagnosed as acne. Gotcha. But it looks different to acne Um, and because they're losing a lot of water out of their skin it's got kind of a a shiny um shiny dampness to Mm -hmm. it 
two, two different types um, and I think that's what makes it easy to get misdiagnosed as yeah, well. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm. For sure. And then we have a grading system of zero to four. So mm-hmm. when I'm looking at someone, um, I'm, I'm putting them uh, as a grade as well uh, for my own um, uh, so we can track the progression for that person as well. Um, but ultimately, um, rosacea is a skin barrier disorder that triggers the innate immune system. So skin barrier recovery is everything Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so let's talk about what that looks like. Yep. Okay. So I think it's important to understand that with rosacea, there are a number of environmental triggers mm-hmm. um, and there are internal triggers as well. And so it's really important to educate people on their triggers Um, So they have an understanding of what's going to aggravate. So one of the biggest triggers is um, sun. So it's UV. Um, And so we're wanting to keep that face um, Mm. protected and out of the sun. So one of the first things I do is to pop those clients onto a very low allergen um, uh, foundation that has SPF in it. So they're getting confidence with the coverage, but they're also getting the SPF in there and they're also wearing a hat if they want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Another trigger is heat. Um, so in these people, we're saying, you know, obviously heat is unavoidable in certain situations, but please don't go to the sauna. Mm. Um, please don't do things that are going to exacerbate. It is a, a condition that's reactive to heat. Um, alcohol is a biggie and that's one a lot of my clients will struggle with Um, unfortunately while we're in recovery of rosacea it's a non-negotiable for me because alcohol is a vasodilator as is caffeine Mm, yeah if if you want to recover you need to come off the caffeine and the alcohol because the thing with rosacea is is that as you work through the grading system you're having, um, you know, because you can move from transient flushing where you're not red all the time. It's just situational. Yeah. Or you have something spicy to eat or when you have alcohol. And then the longer that goes on, it will turn into persistent erythema, which refers to constant redness, right? Gotcha. So it sounds like it operates very similarly to other autoimmune diseases in uh, the early stages where you might just get a flare-up if you have a piece of cheese or, you know, and then then it ends up being chronic and you're in just a chronic state of... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Because one of the things that ha- happens, uh, it is a progressive disorder which is makes it a bit different to other skin conditions because it's affecting the capillaries. Every time you have a flare, that's putting stress onto that capillary system and so the more stress goes onto that system the more damage it gets now we can't break capillaries that's that's just not possible we'd bleed out if we did that but we can definitely overstretch them and they can become flabby and um flaccid Mm. so um every time you're having a flare it is putting um stress onto that system which which then becomes more challenging to reverse and it is also important to know that if you have rosacea um we can work to put you into remission um but you're always going to have that tendency under certain circumstances Mm, it's a bit of an achilles heel that you just need to be aware of 
what yeah absolutely life. yeah like, like any other autoimmune condition mm, yeah you gotta take care of yourself i mean it always comes <laughs> down to taking care of yourself with those basic lifestyle building blocks um you mentioned caffeine uh just for people who maybe aren't coffee drinkers but they drink green tea or black tea are those two out as well when you say caffeine yeah, mainly talking about coffee, mm. um, I am open. Actually, green tea would be very helpful for rosacea. Um, those polyphenols would be would be really great. Mm. Um, I wouldn't um, have too much black tea. Yeah, um, yeah but, but okay. mainly coffee. Mainly coffee and alcohol are the biggies. Unfortunately, um, chocolate is one of uh, the no nos as well. As I'm it, pretty glad I don't have rosacea. Yeah, right I know. <laughs> you just mentioned my final straw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about this stuff, and I feel like such a meanie. Um, and it's it's not necessarily for but it's definitely until we can during the recovery phase and I think that's the key thing here is yeah. that you know there is a, a point in sight where you can then reintroduce some of your faves here and there that's right well I always mm. say to my clients so it was one thing I'll touch on the recovery phase for rosacea is is quite a long one it can be one to two years depending on what grade you're presenting at mm-hmm. um, and so people really need to be mindful of that um and then uh the other thing that i was going to say is what i always say to people ultimately it's your skin and so i can tell you the things that ideally should be done um but it's entirely up to you what you can manage and Mm. you want to do you just need to know that you will obviously not have the the outcomes won't be as as ideal as if you're able to come off of those um, triggers. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Oh, so good. I know the community of people who uh, suffer with varying degrees of and types of rosacea are going to be really much clearer than they were before about their next steps. That's awesome. Can I um, one thing that's really yeah, important? of course. Um, is that you really need to look at the gut um, and the evidence is overwhelmingly indicating that um, even more than any other skin condition that this is um, being driven by the gut. And so uh, people particularly need to look at working with a functional medicine practitioner who will test, uh, do stool testing, mm-hmm. um, uh, looking at uh, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and helicobacter pylori. Great. Well, not great, but <laughs> but at least like good to, um, to know those additional resources because it's so true. You know, sometimes you think, okay, I know what I've got. Yeah. I know there are a couple of things that trigger me, but I need to know the bigger picture of what I can do here. And that's where a lot of people feel lost. So that's super helpful. Um, Another thing that we didn't get time to talk about on our acne-focused chat was actually post-pill acne because obviously a lot of people get um, acne as a teen and unfortunately a line of defence is the contraceptive pill. Um, It's common culturally uh, and hopefully that will um, come to an end at some point because we know that, you know, for all the reasons, um, especially that I talked to Dr. Jolene Brighton about on our pill-focused show, um, 
and actually Francesca Naish as well, which was absolutely amazing on um, natural contraception. So we actually talk about some of the reasons we want to move the pill down the list of priorities and ways. Um, but a lot of teens get put on it. And then, of course, you become sexually active. And then, of course, you just stay on it. It's convenient, completely understandable. Um, and it's absolutely not a judgment of people who are on it. But when they decide to come off, they then met with this old friend that they thought they had got rid of forever and that can be extremely demoralising. So yeah. how does someone navigate this post-pill acne situation? Sure. Um, it's something that is very personal to me because that was my story as mm, well. Um, interesting. I found, yeah, before I was the clear skin expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone has a past. <laughs> but, no, we did talk about that actually in our first show in a lot more detail. So if anyone wants to hear the full story, head back to the, the first one we did together. Yeah. Um, and I had a, a oral contraceptive pill addiction because it did entirely clear my skin up or at mm. least clear up 90%. And then you want to come off, but there's that fear of coming off. Of course. Off. And I think that that's a really important thing to talk about because it's it's valid, you know, you feel like. Absolutely. Um, but. Um, there is a lot we can do about it. Um, so we know that people go on the pill for various reasons and, like you said, no judgment whatsoever. Um, and then there are various ways in which the pill can contribute to post-pill acne, even if you didn't go on to the pill for your acne in the first place. Mm. Um, so it does, you know, on certain types of pill, it will take your um, your sebum or your oil production down to um, that of childhood. And so when you come off it and all of your hormones are waking up and, you know, we have hormone receptors in our skin as well, there is a rebound of sebum that is produced, a mm -hmm. surge of sebum, um, and that kind of tends to peak at around three to six months. So we're seeing people that um, that are coming in and they're getting very distressed because they feel like their skin is worse, um, but we reassure them that around the three to six-month mark, it's actually where we would expect it to, to be, you know, at its, at its peak. Um, in our clinic, we really recommend um, that people work with us internally and externally for about three months before deciding to come off mm. um, because we want to um, replenish the nutrients that are depleted by the pill, the seven nutrients, so B vitamins, zinc, magnesium, selenium, vitamin E, vitamin C and CoQ10. Um, we want to make sure that they're not in a stressed state because, as we know, um, the body can't um, manage its hormones and its stress at the same time. It will choose one pathway. Mm. You know, and we know that the body says, well, if you're really stressed, there's no way you're in a place to reproduce I'm yeah. going to turn all of those building blocks for hormones into your stress hormones so you can escape that tiger that's in front of you. Yeah. Mm. So we don't want people coming off the pill when they're hugely stressed or sleep-deprived. Um, it's not a great idea. They're not going to have 
a jolly time. Um, and so that's one of the things. So, yeah, first, um, replace, repletion of nutrients that are depleted by the pill. Um, secondly, assessing that person's um, stress and sleep. And um, uh, so we we're talking about cortisol, yeah, um, and we can test that if we need to. Um, and then... We work on um, stabilising their blood sugar levels because um, the pill can put those um, out as well. And we know that imbalance of um, blood sugar is uh, a big factor in breakouts and acne. Mm -hmm. And then we want to treat uh, gut and liver, yeah? Yeah. So uh, both of which have been affected by uh, the pill and the microbiome has been affected. So those are the things that we do in the um, prepping phase. It, it's okay if people come to us and they've already come off it, that's fine. Um, but optimally, um, it's a great idea to start working with someone um, before because you're going to have a much easier ride as well. Mm. well I liken it to um quitting smoking and yeah. my naturopath getting me ready getting me very relaxed using herbs like passion flower um getting my sleep really good um getting me to focus on even just mentally some of the things that I was looking forward to and increasing the amount of positive socialization that didn't include drinks and smoking and where you might find weak spots and getting the food right because smoking, of course, also disturbs the gut and your hormone system um, and uh, creates artificial responses that aren't natural. So um, and doing that prep work meant that I was able to quit cold turkey and never look back. And it was hard, yeah, of course. But, um, but you know, you got to think about how badly you want it and how amazing if you can do all that prep work um, and then come off the pill and then actually start to have better skin than you've ever had, even if you have a couple of hiccups in those first couple of months. Um, and you know you've got that. It's you naturally doing it. It's not with the help of anything else. You don't need to take a magic pill to feel great. And um, that's really the ultimate prize, isn't it? It's so great for genuine confidence. It really is. And that's that's two of the biggest things that I hear when people come in and I say, how, how can I help you? And the, one of the biggest things people will say is I want to feel confident without makeup. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing people say is I don't want to rely on medication for um, my skin. Yeah. Um, and so it's about setting people up to succeed and providing them with uh, support and all of the tools that they, that they need mm -hmm. um, to make that journey. Um, and then when we can do that and we can start to take the fear and the mystery around from people's skin, it's just magic. Yeah, super magic. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's a few more things I want to try and fit into this chat. Uh, let's <laughs> see how we go. Healthy ageing. I want to circle back to that because we have these fine feathery lines and we have the deeper wrinkles yeah. How do we best support, support both of those 
um, in maybe just joining us a little slower. <laughs> so it's, I'm all for a completely natural vibe um, uh, and not using injectables and all the things, the little carrots that get dangled around us, helping us feel inadequate and therefore needing um, these interventions. But there's just so much we can do. Uh, and I, I think inflammation is obviously probably going to come into your tips here to address that. Um, but it is something people would ideally like to prolong the arrival of or slow down the acceleration of. So what are your top tips? Okay. All right. This is an area that I'm super interested in at the moment and we're at a really interesting time where we do have um, the things like I suppose what you were referring to, the Botox and the fillers and things like that, uh, laser um, that uh, people can use. Um, And then we do have more of the sustainable, slow aging techniques, which is, I guess, more where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. And I feel like either is okay, both is okay. Mental health must come first. Um, Mm. Your feeling good about yourself and it means that you can positively and outwardly make an impact in the world and then do what you need to do. Um, but ageing is is super interesting science and when we look at ageing, we're looking at um, intrinsic factors, so those are the internal factors and that's really about our genetics and our epigenetics, like how, how blessed we were in the lottery of birth. And then we're looking at the intrinsic, extrinsic factors, so the external factors, and that's like how much uh, sun exposure have you had? Do you smoke? What's your sleep like? What's your diet like? What is your stress like? Because the the skin is a reactive organ. Um, It will ultimately reflect the choices we've made in our life. And sometimes there's no shortcut or quick fix around that. And and we do know that the best approach to ageing is prevention. Mm. Um, And so starting as early as possible. Um, Going back to your original question about the fine lines, um, fine feathery lines versus the deeper wrinkles, they're they're quite worlds apart um, Mm. because structurally, um, you know, what I'm looking for when I'm seeing a client come in and and what I can help with is um, if if they've got, um, I don't mean to be negative or or scare anybody, but if, if you've already progressed to the place where you um, have got sagging um, in your skin and there's a detachment from the dermojunction, there's actually not a great deal that I can help naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, You would be looking at sort of facelift territory um, because once that detachment has occurred, there's I can't put it back together. Mm. Um, Obviously, we can really bolster that person with... um, antioxidants internally and externally reduce their inflammation um, and we can um, definitely have lots of conversations about ongoing um, sun protection and I really need to say that when I'm talking about sun protection um, I am talking about the face the neck and the decolletage Mm -hmm. okay 
because that's where UV um, is the biggest leader of aging. Like, um, but when I'm talking about sun protection, please understand that vitamin D is very important to our skin and immune function. Mm-hmm. And so for myself and for my clients, what I recommend is daily and multiple times a day reapplication of sun protection on your face, neck and decolletage. Um, but if you see me walking around in my neighbourhood of Fitzroy, you'll see me wearing like quite minimal clothes on a sunny day in my workout clothes. Uh, but I'll always wear a hat um, because I want that vitamin D absorption through my Into skin. Into your limbs. Yeah. Absolutely. I want I want that vitamin D. Um, and so it's a fine line, um, but it is also possible. Um, and so um, with the person that's presenting with the fine feathery lines, which is extremely common and it can start occurring even in your 20s depending on your skin type, firstly we need to look at is that actual structural uh, and integral damage or is that someone with an impaired barrier function, okay? Because someone can look like they've got fine feathery lines underneath their eyes. Um, mm, and you just do that little yeah. test where you sort of push yeah. your cheek up a little bit, don't you, and see if they're yeah. all there. Exactly. But that's the first area that I'm looking at to see if someone's barrier compromised, mm. you know, and I can turn that around very quickly when we put their barrier back together and they stop having leaking water out of their skin. Mm. Yeah. Because those fine feathery lines is a water issue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I remember learning that when I was a cosmetic consultant when I was about (laughs) 18 and you go to the training and you're like, oh, fine feathery lines, not holding on to water. Yep, okay, done. That's very different to actual collagen degradation and Mm. structural breakdown. Um, If we want to look at how the skin is ageing, we look at the eyes, the eyelids, because that is the, the, the thinnest skin. And so we can have a look at there um, as therapists or estheticians and we can actually see um, what the what the ageing of the skin is and that gives us an indication of what is going on at a deeper structural level in the rest of the face, even though it's not actually visible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for a person that was presenting with fine feathery lines, the first thing I would do would be to repair their barrier and they would notice and see in the mirror a significant change from there. And is there something someone could do at home to repair that barrier? Look, you really need to be using a skincare range that is um, going to repair the barrier and there Mm -hmm. are very few of them out there. Yeah. The range that I use in clinic. Um, And uh, so it's it's really about um, getting some professional advice. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Therapist about what you can do with that, mm. um, and then we want to protect the cell as much as possible because the cell of the cell has four stages or four chapters of aging, and each time it enters one, it's irreversible and it can't go back. Mm-hmm. So UV is an accelerator of that aging, and anything that causes oxidative stress, like smoking um, Mm. is going to accelerate that. But there are nutritional interventions we can use externally and internally to hold that cell in that chapter of ageing for as long as possible. 
Stay. Stay. So we want to stop lipid peroxidation of the cell, which means that that's when there's oxidation in the cellular membrane. Um, So we want to have lots of anti-inflammatory fats in the diet. So Mm -hmm. oily fish, omega-3 supplementation internally, externally, bathe in it. Um, We want to have lots of antioxidants. So, um, and antioxidants that will help synergistically work with each other. So vitamin A is probably the the king of of anti-aging and its ability to repair DNA. Um, And then we're looking at vitamin C, vitamin E, CoQ10, alpha lipoic acid, green tea. Um, They're all my top uh, nutrients for aging prevention and anti-aging. Brilliant. LED, so um, light therapy uh, is so. So one of the things we're looking at in in aging is one of the biggest things is collagen. Yeah, because mm. how how well your collagen is doing is going to determine the appearance of your skin, your wrinkles, and how you're aging. Um, UV attacks collagen, or it creates um, it creates proteins that will attack collagen so we're wanting to make sure that the uh, consumption of collagen is adequate and from the conference that I went to uh, there was a lot of discussion on collagen and its importance for the gut and the skin Um, and then we have cells in our skin called fibroblasts that produce collagen and they drop off drastically as we age I mean, and is it, can we just take collagen internally to boost our collagen? I mean, it seems to be quite popular in the in the speak out there. But what's we, your take on that? You, like with anything, um, it's definitely helpful uh, to consume it, but we also need to trigger its production in the fibroblast. Mm-hmm. So, so how do we do that? Yeah, this is cool, right? So... <laughs> Because, yeah, as we age and even in our 30s, our, our production of collagen and it gets produced by the fibroblast drastically drops off. So we want to take a collagen and vitamin C supp- supplement because you have to take vitamin C with collagen. That's a very little-known fact as well. Um, mm, if you want interesting. And does it matter how much of the vitamin C cofactor you take or...? Um, it's all about the quality. So I always recommend a liposomal C and mm. starting off at a minimum of a thousand um, a day. Milligrams a day. But if you want to test your body's capacity for vitamin C, you just take it until you get diarrhea and then you know what your limit is. Mm. And like before you get diarrhea, even if it's like 6,000 milligrams a day, would that be um, optimal if what you're trying to do is bolster your collagen levels? Yeah, look, I think in this current climate, bolstering our immune system is of first importance mm. and vitamin C is one of the best ways for us to do that. Yeah. Coincidentally, zinc is also a collagen cofactor and is also the best thing for our immune system. And iron is a cofactor for collagen production. So if you're anemic... Yeah, which mm. a lot of women are. 
you can take all of the collagen powder in the world. Um, you're not going to have good collagen production. So we've got to be looking at the cofactors as yeah. well. But back to the question about vitamin C. Um, look, uh, everyone is everyone is different, obviously, yeah. and it really depends. Like our requirements go up when we're stressed. Our requirements go up when our liver is under duress because the liver loves vitamin C. Um, our requirements go up as we age. Our requirements go up um the more sun exposure we've had and you know like people are doing iv um vitamin c i mean iv nutrients are huge right now mm. and so I'd, I'd have to look at what the dosages um of those are unfortunately i can't do it because i'm not an integrated gp i think um, it's ten thousand um yeah, there you go. from memory because i've had yeah. some ivs i have a local doctor who does ivc and um yeah. It's a pocket rocket of a, um, a way to boost yourself. I can tell you what. Is it amazing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then in terms of the collagen source, so obviously different people eat different ways. We've got thousands and thousands of people tuning in from all over the world and different dietary preferences. Yeah. Um, so there's marine collagen. There's obviously collagen from um, grass-fed uh, animals, cows, uh, any other forms? Um, funnily enough, um, I learned at the conference that eggs naturally contain uh, collagen. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I didn't know that before. But um, cooking an egg denatures the membrane, so mm -hmm. it should be taken as a supplement. Um, and then different collagens do do different things. It's a very good question to ask. So bovine collagen um, from grass-fed beef um, really helps with gut health and um, promotes and improves sleep quality and is really, really good for skin. Mm -hmm. um, I think that marine collagen has the best absorption from what I'm aware um, and uh, it has uh, mainly type 1 collagen, which is really good for connective tissue and skin and for anti-aging. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got to be um, my concern is looking at the toxicity um, in those products and what the heavy metals uh, would be and whether they're removed and whether that fish was uh, wild caught and all of those mm. kinds of Things that we're looking at in all of our fish products, all of our, you know, fish oils and things like that. Absolutely. Um, so source is really important and making sure if you do choose that option, then you're making sure that you're buying from a super transparent company that has yeah. all of that data. Uh, absolutely. And mm. um, if you're wanting it for skin, you need beef or um, marine um, chicken, which has loads of other amazing um properties um is got type 2 collagen so it's good for um more sort of um building blood and immune system and supporting digestive function awesome so those chicken soups aren't just good for the flu <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and another thing is is that um collagen can actually be a prebiotic and oh wow yeah, I know. Cool, right? And mm. feed our microbiota. And so um, if you are on a low-carb diet, you must be having collagen every day. Wow. Because 
most of the fuel sources that feed our microbiota are in the form of carbs. Um, and so, yeah, very, very important for those on a low-carb um, protocol. Mm. And are there any plant-based collagens for vegans? Not that I'm aware of. Um, mm. No, um, I don't believe that there are. Um, we we have access to vegan, um, so alga uh, in terms of omega three, um, but in in terms of collagen, um, not that not that I'm aware of, and not ones that would have the the type of collagen that we need. So I believe that there's um, sixteen different types of collagen. Um, but uh, we want the ones that consist of type 1 and 3 for skin and anti-aging, and those are your fish and your bovine. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So at least, at the very least, our vegan listeners can go with an algae-based omega-3 so that they're getting that good good fatty acid for their skin. So that's great. There's something everyone can do. Absolutely, and we're all doing the best we can. And, you know, vegans can also, uh, this is different to collagen, but we can feed our microbiome by having certain um, prebiotic foods, resistant starches and fibres. Mm. Um, so a good way to promote Hit the that. chickpea burgers. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Flaxseed and potatoes and, yeah, I'm glad the potatoes making a comeback. I'm a big fan. I know, me too. I <laughs> love that. It's just some, like I honestly believe it is just such a satisfying food mm-hmm. um, at a very deep level and I think I always think there must be a reason for that, you know. We, I can't ignore that. It's got a bad rap. Potato yeah. got a bad rap. So it I'm got really, a really bad rap. Really making a comeback. Yeah, <laughs> poor little tater. So um, a couple of extra questions. I know that this is something um, that affects people. It seems to have affected me as I've gotten a little bit older is the little white cysts. I think milia is what they're technically called. Yeah. Um, What do we do with those when they come up from time to time? Do we leave them alone? Is there a way to extract them with a health professional? Um, What's the deal? Um, the deal is, is you're seeing the visible display of an omega-3 essential fatty acid deficiency. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a deficiency can actually be a processing issue. Like you could oh, be getting yeah. heaps of oh, yeah. omega-3 fatty acids, but your body could not be utilising them well enough, right? You're so clever, Alex. I love talking <laughs> to you because this is... You've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, because a lot of people are like, what? But I have olive oil and everything. I have my salmon, like they said. I'm still getting them. So so I see this quite a lot. I see people who are presenting with a lot of hormonal pigmentation. I see people who are presenting with milia and they're on a good quality fish oil supplement. And so what we would look at in our clinic in that instance is the absorption, mm-hmm. um, what the gallbladder function is, um, first and foremost, to be mm-hmm. absorbing those fats, um, what the cofactors are. So um, essential fatty acids need cofactors um, of uh, biotin, CoQ10 um, and B vitamins to be absorbed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, liver and gallbladder function, cofactor function, and then there might, you know, there might be something because everyone processes essential fatty acids differently with genetics. Mm. So 
Yeah, so that's where genetic testing can come in because we're looking at, at how at how people process because essential fatty acids is one of the, the biggest nutrients that's like not the biggest, I shouldn't say that because there's methylation, but um, it's it's a huge factor of, of genetics and how much we need and how we're absorbing it. I'm a bit anti this movement of people being prescribed, you know, 6,000 milligrams a day of fish oil. Mm. Um, because that's not looking at the other issues. It's not treating the person as an individual. Um, mm. And we've actually had a couple of other health professionals on the show that have dissed that trend in just throw a whole bunch of high-dose fish oil at this patient. Um, yeah, because, yeah, it's uh, and it seems to be that um, a common thread in our show guests who are very esteemed health professionals. So <laughs> I dare say we should listen to you guys and um, and work to the root cause of why uh, through natural dietary means they don't seem to actually be absorbing. And, yes, fair enough, maybe you find out there is an absorption issue and you correct it and then they can go on a high dose because that will be really effective. But yeah. you have to get to those um those cofactors and the root causes as to yeah, why in the first I really place. Love essential fatty acids. They're my number one nutrient for skin health. Um, but yeah, we can cause complications if we're um, excessively dosing for the wrong people. Mm. It's not unsafe, but it's uh, just going to put excess stress on the liver and gallbladder. Mm. Um, and and it's a waste of cash for the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back to your question about what we can do about milia, well, we can have a look at that essential fatty acid uh, deficiency issue. We can have a look at the cofactors. Uh, I put my clients on uh, essential fatty acids, CoQ10, um, B topically as well. Then mm-hmm. um, I uh, increase the hydration of their skin. Mm-hmm. So I'll use things like um, hyaluronic acid, um, to increase the water content and particular types of uh, masks to in- in- increase the water content and then we can go in and extract um, but it is it's keratin it's not um, it's not the same as a breakout mm-hmm. um, and it's usually around the eye area so we need to be quite careful because we don't want to cause any post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or mm. or damage yeah, so such good advice. Yeah. Thank you. And my last question is on teens and stretch marks because we've had this question a few times yeah. and I understand that would be stretch marks in themselves can be quite a complex topic, but what can we do for our teens who, you know, grow like a beanstalk over the summer and <laughs> all of a sudden find themselves with these stretch marks or what could we preventatively do as we head into those high growth teen years um, to maybe either um, minimise or just prevent ourselves from getting them altogether. It'd probably be the same pre-pregnancy as a um, preconception um, preparation as well. Absolutely. It goes back to what we were talking about before about supporting the connective tissue. So I personally would be looking at a really good quality collagen um, supplement, mm-hmm. uh, vitamin C, um, zinc, and then checking the iron levels as well and then making su- sure we're supporting the connective tissue and the collagen. Um, it's it's really commonly associated with low zinc levels. Um, but, you know, 
when people are growing, they need, you know, is it low zinc or is it they're just <laughs> churning through so much of it that they mm. need more at that time? Um, so I would definitely be looking at supporting connective tissue that way and um, looking at those supplements and cofactors. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Man, we covered a lot in an hour. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much once again, Asha. An amazing part two. Really appreciate your um, considered and such well-researched responses. And I know everybody got so much out of our first show together and I'm sure they've gotten a lot out of today. So thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action uh, and uh, there's amazing aid Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Today